Hello and welcome to the Rock Metal Podcast. I'm your host, John Harris, and today on the Rock Metal Podcast, we have Chemis, not Chemis, Chemis. They have a new album called Deceiver, which is released on November 19th via Nuclear Blast Records. Right now, I'm being joined by Ben to share some more information about this stellar release as well as what he's been up to because we were just chatting. We're trying to figure out when he was last on the show. I could look it up myself, but it's better to just, you know, not riddle ourselves with facts. So, Ben, welcome back to the show. Great to have you on. Hey, right on. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, it's good to be here. It's good to be back. Um, yeah, uh, I think we nailed it down. It's been 22 years since I was last on the on the show. So, yeah, a uh, lot has changed in the last 22 years. Right. So, I mean, if you could condense that down into an elevator pitch, a soundbite, you know, a tweet, what happened over the last 22 years since we've last chatted? Jeez. Oh, my God. The idea of trying to condense the last <laughs> the last two years into um, – <laughs> It's like, like so much else about the last couple of years. Um, it feels like everything and almost nothing has happened. Um, everything in terms of, uh, it, it, look, I, I have already blown well through the, the, uh, uh, elevator pitch guideline that you provided, but I think it would do a disservice <laughs> to, uh, to try to keep it at, you know, 30 words or less. Take your time, um, baby. Take your time. You know, everything from, you know, personal growth and um you know uh addressing long-standing mental health concerns to uh uh rediscovering a joy um for myself and for the others of being in this band and yet when i say it feels like nothing it's because because for like 15 months the only time i ever saw the outside world was when i took the dog on a walk or like going to pick up groceries and uh one of the I think more lighthearted outcomes from the last two years is that everybody forgot how to interact with everybody. And so whenever I see people that I know it's, it is seriously like someone has transported uh, two cavemen into the future and they're trying to navigate the world around them and communicate because every social guideline, every moray is just out the window and people are just, just both overly excited to see people they know and have no idea what the sort of conversational guidelines are supposed to be anymore. Um, so it's a real wild time, I, I guess, to uh, to be living in my skin. It sounds like Colorado, though. I mean, it makes sense. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I suppose that you know, Colorado <laughs> has its own, own unique brand of weird. But uh, well, you know, even folks that that I would expect to have a, a firmer grasp. And I am certainly not excluded from this group. Um, one of the first times that we had uh, like an actual interaction with a friend after sort of emerging from quarantine, uh, she was over at the house and, and um, we had introduced her to our dog Mojo, who she had not met. And I started trying to tell a story about when we had adopted Mojo. And I stopped and I said, look, this already doesn't make sense. Let me start over and try again. Because right now, everything that I just spent five minutes telling you is just incoherent nonsense. And we had a good laugh. And then I hit reset, which is a thing that you don't normally have to do in a conversation with a good friend. And yet, mm-hmm. so much of the world today, I think, falls in the category of, I didn't think I'd have to do this, but dot, dot, dot. Mm-hmm. It's okay. <clears throat> One of my favorite tactics, going back to before I was married and I was you know, out as a young man, swaggering about in the clubs. 
was resetting conversations. If I felt like, you know, a brand new conversation with a stranger wasn't going well, male or female, I'd be like, hold on, let's, let's reset that for a second. And then, you know, turn around and come back in and be like, Hey, how's it going? Um, it worked back then. How does it feel with somebody that you've known for you know years and you're hitting the reset button on a conversation? Yeah, I think that's the, that's the thing. Well, I mean, at the same time, because you have that sort of shared history, you can both laugh it off and realize that, yeah, look, we're still trying to figure out how to, uh, how to talk to people again, how to be around people. I mean, I, I've, I think I've gotten my head wrapped around interacting with a couple of people, but we uh, played Psycho Las Vegas, and you know, the most people I'd been around before that for the last two years had been four people yeah, maybe yeah, five yeah. uh and so to say that was overwhelming would be a disservice to what the word overwhelming means um there, there were just countless times where i was like i gotta peace out i gotta go back to the hotel room and just like sit in silence i can't i can't take these many voices and these many so many people and so many smells and just just all of it at the same time it was the a smells. sensory overload. oh yeah well i forgot <laughs> how uh metal shows can smell even from the stage there's a on the list of things that I missed, that one is really close to the bottom. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You, you mentioned that, and immediately I was brought back to, because uh, I work in culinary, and I work at a culinary school, and also to keep you know abreast of the industry, I work in the industry, ergo a real restaurant. And sure. it was weird. Actually, no, it wasn't weird. It was welcoming at first when we had to shut everything down, and it was like just us, and it was like takeout only. It was fantastic. Right. And then having to open everything back up, hearing all that reverberation freaked me out. I'm sure, yeah. And then there is a smell when there's the restaurant is full of people and drinks are getting poured and food is slinging out of the kitchen. There is a smell that there isn't when it's just food being made that I forgot about until that happened. Is it a good smell? Is it a reassuring smell? Is it somewhere get- in the middle? I guess it is. I mean, if it were my business, it certainly would be. Well, sure, yeah. <laughs> it uh, signifies something good, if nothing else. Yeah, it signifies, you know, the return to normalcy, I, I suppose. But, you know, and then as well, you know, my kids, uh, I have a seven-year-old who's been online for all of his, almost his entire academic career. And he's kind of weird about being in public, and I don't blame him, uh, which is kind of sad because he used to be a very charismatic person. Uh, like you know, charismatic five-year-old or whatever, but still kind of lost that touch. And then our daughter, who's going to be one and a half here soon, she just doesn't know anything else. So she, if we're out somewhere, which doesn't happen very often, but if we're out somewhere, she starts freaking out. And you know, I don't, I don't blame her there either. Um, but yeah, it's it's a it's an interesting thing to, I don't know, have to re reintegrate yourself into society. Yeah. You know, we we use the term the new normal a lot. I think without really thinking about what that means. Um, and I think that it sort of unfairly equates whatever we're entering with whatever it is that we used to have. And the reality is that, you know, for someone like myself, like I'm about to turn 37. So like my formative years are well behind me and yet it still has, you know, the last few years have seriously impacted my psyche and my, um, sort of, I don't know, notion of empathy for the human race and all sorts of other things. But that feels small compared to the uh, necessary, you know, developmental socialization for for younger people. Like, I I don't know what you know. 
this generation feels like a very old man thing to say, but like what this generation of young folks is gonna, you know, sort of grow up to be because they had this this thing that disrupted their childhood, their sort of formative years in a way that like us as well, I'm not a parent, but I'm an uncle several times over and like my even understanding of like how to be an uncle is different as a result of all of this. And like trying like my sort of life experiences that I might impart to my nieces and nephews some of it may not make sense as a result. They'll be like, what? You used to go out of the house and let strangers high-five you? I'll be like, yeah, I know. It was a real crazy time. We yeah. used to hug people that we didn't know very well. You know. <laughs> does that make you Uncle Ben? Yes, it does. Well, uh, technically it does. Um, generally, I'm Uncle Biscuit. Um, now, why? It's not really a good story. Um, my sister-in-law decided – so she's from Texas, and I'm from Mississippi originally, and my brother's from Mississippi. I guess that goes without saying. Um, and she, many years ago, probably, I don't know, 15, 16 years ago, at one point just decided that I was sweet and crumbly like a biscuit. And I was like, I don't really know what that means. Fast forward to when uh, they had a, a kid, and they just – taught him that I was Uncle Biscuit. So now all my nieces and nephews know me as Uncle Biscuit. Wow. And uh, and I like it. It's you know, it it's got a it's got a, a nice sort of charming ring to it. And it also keeps me from having to answer any sort of rice related jokes, which I think is where you might have been headed. Almost. Almost. I, mean, I don't <laughs> want to dive into it too deeply other than, you know, do you just keep a box out on the counter and be like just point at it and say, "Hey, you address me as Uncle Ben." But no, it's Uncle Biscuit. So that's fantastic. So do you guys have like a thing where you you make biscuits on a regular basis no okay i'm just uncle biscuit no yeah. uh i would do that unfortunately none of them live particularly close my brother and his family are in texas uh my my wife's brother and uh his family are in southern california so uh we don't get to see them especially for the last couple of years as often as we you know otherwise yeah. would yeah. um but uh no i'm just i'm just uncle biscuit i mean we'll see how long that lasts you know at a certain point I, I imagine if my you know nephew was twenty five years old talking about his uncle Biscuit, that might draw some some strange glances from his friends. I don't know. We'll see. That's my uncle Biscuit. Yeah, they'll be like, "What? That guy doesn't what? have sleeves on any of his shirts, and he drives an El Camino." And actually, now that I've said that out loud, yes, that is Uncle Biscuit. That is it right there. That, that is my my mm -hmm. heart and soul. Yeah, an El Camino. That's fantastic. I haven't seen an El Camino in a very long time. Now, granted, uh, true story. Last time I saw one, I was in Arizona, which very low humidity, a lot of classic cars just because they, they keep well. And living, yeah. in, living in Canada, you kind of have to replace your car every five years sort of thing. Sure. Or at least should. Otherwise, in a left-hand turn, you'll lose your groceries. Now, <laughs> <laughs> um, take us through your El Camino, baby. You mentioned 1978. Is it a 78? Oh, no, no. Look, I, 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 El Camino is what I want to have. Oh. That is, that's on the oh. list of things that oh. like – you know, pay off your student loan. I have a Dodge Magnum, which is a very, uh, it's not, it's not like painfully practical, you know, it's kind of cool maybe, but, uh, my, my guideline for owning a vehicle is if I can't fit a full stack in it, then I can't own it. Right. So I have a Magnum. I mean, an El Camino would be impractical for that reason in Colorado because we, you know, we get a ton of snow, but we get enough snow. Yeah. Uh, we get enough precipitation, but one day, yeah, one day I will have one. I, I saw that, uh, I think Matt Pike has one, or at least he was 
he was tooling around on one and he was putting pictures up on his Instagram and stuff about it. And I just made me jealous. And I was like, ah, Pike beat me to it. Ah, his has like a, a sweet, like eight ball, uh, uh, knob on the, uh, the gear shift and everything. And I was like, man, mm-hmm. I got to get an El Camino, the mm-hmm. mean Camino. That's, That's what right. I got to be. That's right, baby. Uncle Biscuit and his Camino. That's it. With Mojo next to him. Oh yes. That's Biscuit and Mojo. Biscuit and Mojo coming to, uh, uh, Peacock, Fall 2022. That's right, baby. Crime drama you didn't know you needed. Yeah. Tell us about Mojo. I want to know about Mojo. Mojo, normally he would be in here, but he's asleep in my wife's office right now. He is a, a rot hound. He's part basset hound, part rottweiler. Mm-hmm. So if you imagine what a rottweiler looks like, and then his legs are about three inches long, um, he is an absolutely delightful uh just creature he's the sweetest thing and he's got a big voice but he's super chill and he loves he loves getting his ears scratched and his belly rubbed and uh, we just went out on a pretty good walk this morning right before i hopped on a call with you we went out for about 30 minutes and uh let him stretch his tiny little legs mm-hmm. i just looked up a picture on the internet out of mojo but of a dog like mojo and it's cute dig it yeah he's adorable mm-hmm. uh he he came into our lives at the end of last year. Um, we had had to say goodbye to our other dogs who had uh, died earlier in the year. So boy, twenty twenty just you know kicked us in the teeth over and over. And then Mojo showed up in our lives and uh, was a real was a real emotional turning point. He's he's a real badass. And uh, you know, there's something about dogs in general, but for me, like anything Bassett related is. That's my heart. They're just, they remind me of what matters and what doesn't because they don't have time for the nonsense. They're mm-hmm. focused on the important stuff, which is eating, crapping, and, and getting love. And I mean, yeah. what what better way to boil down existence than, than eating, crapping, and getting love? Yeah. I'm trying to remember the name of the comedian. I could find it if I search hard enough. But there was a comedian who had a bit about the problem with humanity is that we're suddenly, suddenly found ourselves smart enough to diverge from eating, crapping, and finding love. I mean, there's there's some truth to that. We certainly we certainly get distracted with nonsense. We certainly um, have created a world for ourselves in which we equate um, acquisition of material wealth with success and happiness, and it leads to a certain kind of, I think, spiritual sickness, um, which is. You know, not not to drive us towards talking about the album, but that's one of the things that sort of informed the entire creative process behind the album was starting to ask these questions about what are we supposed to be doing with our time here and what are all the ways that we're convinced we're supposed to be spending our time when in reality that's, that's wasting what precious time we have. Um, why are we seeking out additional suffering and pain when we're born into it anyway? Um, you know... You, don't, you never see a dog go out of their way to make themselves miserable so that they can create, quote-unquote, true art. Like, dogs don't, don't you know, conflate intentional suffering with uh, artistic motivation. But that's something that humans are uniquely talented at uh, and is one of the things that I think uh, that starting to unlearn, I won't claim to have totally deprogrammed myself, but starting to unlearn that has been a real big part of the creative process for 
I mean, for this album, but just sort of rediscovering the joy of creating music at all in the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. And something you mentioned uh, earlier was rediscovering the joys, particularly about being, I think you said, in the band. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, we... I, I always hesitate to say like, oh, the, all the silver linings from, you know, the global pandemic that killed, you know, hundreds of millions of people and, and you know, has changed the shape of existence. Um, maybe it hasn't killed hundreds of millions, tens of millions. It's killed a lot of people. Point is, but one of the realities of being in a quarantine for so long is having to confront a lot of things that otherwise in our lives we can sort of uh, leave uninterrogated. And one of those big things for us was the band had become so routinized and so automated in our lives that we weren't asking whether or not we actually wanted to do it. And we weren't asking what it meant to us anymore. We were doing it not only out of habit, but I think also out of fear. Mm-hmm. Um, you get some degree of attention, some modicum of success, and there's a fear that emerges that what if what if this is all that I do that matters? What if, what if this is all that I am? And that can very quickly start to poison other parts of your life. And were it not for the fact that we were all, you know, put in a position where we had to confront these things, I mean, chemists wouldn't be here today. We, we wouldn't have made it through. Mm-hmm. But having to step back and ask ourselves these questions, like speaking for myself, really asking, like, if this is if this is something that I still love because I had fallen out of love with being in this band, I'd fallen out of love with doing anything related to this band and more broadly fallen out of love with life. Uh, I was diagnosed at the beginning of 2020 with uh, massive depressive disorder um, and having my mental illness be codified with a real diagnosis instead of saying, as I always had, Oh, sometimes I, I get a little depressed or I get a little sad. Uh, but realizing, no, like this is a fundamental part of who I am and having to confront that and get help before it was too late. And thankfully, my amazing wife and therapist and I got a good psychiatrist and I got good medication and began my recovery process. Um, I then was in a place where I could say, I think I can be okay without chemists. I think I can live not being Ben from chemists, but just being Ben. And what I realized very quickly was I had to be okay with that to be able to love being in chemists because otherwise I was addicted to it. And as someone who is coming up on three years uh, of sobriety, uh, addiction is something that uh, I have to be very careful with. And so wrapping my head around this and realizing that I didn't have to do this and that none of us had to do this made us realize that we wanted to do this and that there was still so much to be done in this band and so much joy to be had in creating because we love each other and we love creating together, but doing it out of a sense of obligation to the abstract notion of what chemist is, or because we're afraid of what would happen if we didn't have it would be um, disingenuous. And being honest about what we're doing and why we're doing it has always been the sort of core ethos of this band. And so being able to reconnect with that and say, yeah, if we're going to be honest about why we love doing this, we got to be honest about what it is we're living through and what it is that got us to this place of, you know, renewed passion for writing this music. And that meant sort of reflecting on 
the darkness that all three of us had had to confront at various points over the last couple of years. Everything from mental illness to family trauma and intergenerational trauma, you know, addiction, um, and certainly the sort of global context in which all of this exists. Um, I mean, it's hard enough to confront whatever's in your own mind and heart, uh, independent of the fact that the world itself is a giant raging dumpster fire, uh, you know, careening towards the end of human existence. And being able to reflect on that and not have to reinflict that trauma on ourselves. So earlier when I said, you know, the way that we fetishize suffering for artists and we say, oh, true art comes from true pain, and realizing that you don't have to create more of it because it's already there. Like, from the moment you're born, you're going to suffer. People you love will die. Your dreams will not come true. Like, all this bad stuff will happen to you no matter what. doesn't matter what kind of person you are. So why find more of it? Why, like... The, the little bit of stuff we have control over in our lives is not the past, and it is largely not the future. It's, it's the right now. It's living in the moment, and it's trying to do the good work as best you can for the right reasons in this moment. And for us, that meant writing an album that reflected not only this awareness of the darkness and this awareness of this inevitability of suffering – but also this awareness that there is still joy to be had and that there is still some kind of light that you have to find, you have to at times create, but it's there, you know, it's not, it's not hidden away. In fact, it's often a lot closer than we think. Um, and to try to honestly reflect that, that balance that we're all trying to find in our lives through our lyrics and our music. And what came out was what I, you know, what we think is our, darkest most you know introspective album uh to date mm -hmm. and that album deceiver out november 19th via nuclear blast records will be available everywhere you consume music in today's show notes we have chemistdoom.com as well as at time of recording anyway uh two videos available from the album living pyre and house of cadmus yes indeed incredible uh, first stuff. time we've been able to do two videos for an album so uh we're excited. We just released the House of Cadmus video. Um, it's done by um, Kostin Toriano, who is a Romanian visual artist who's worked with At The Gates and Carcass and a bunch of other bands. And the the video that he created for us is just is something else. You know, One of the, the real joys of doing this is getting to collaborate with people and say, you know, here's a, what we do. Now, what does it mean to you? How do you interpret it? And we've gotten to do that with you know, all sorts of visual artists, you know, you see it in our merchandise and stuff like that. But this is our first animated video. And the the way that the lyrics and the music affected Costin and the imagery he drew upon was just outstanding. And I mean, it might sound uh, uh, silly, but I have watched that video like six times since we put it out. I just I just I keep finding all these little things in it, these little connections to the lyrics. I'm just blown away by the work that he did. Yeah. Very good stuff. And to all the Romanians out there, Dragoste Dinte. Yes. Yeah, baby. Which, of course, they just <laughs> giggled because that was a very, uh, it was a Romanian pop song that came out like, I don't know, 15 years ago at this point. Speaking of being old, Uncle Biscuit. <laughs> 
Beautiful. All right. So everybody listening in, that concludes my questions, but go into the show notes down below this episode, chemistdoom.com, as well as uh, any videos that will be available when we air the episode. So Living Pyre and House of Cadmus are two that are available as of right now. And that concludes my question. So Ben, great having you on the show. Hey, thank you so much, my friend. I really appreciate it. I appreciate you taking the time to talk to me. And I appreciate everyone who's uh, who's listened to us, the people that have been there since the beginning and the people that are just finding us now. Uh, we appreciate you. We love you. And uh, we hope you enjoy the new album. <laughs>